today's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 27. If you could stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy and precious word. Starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with the desires. But whoever does the will of, the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were all, or that all, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you or if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that we have made, or that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you that those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. <clears throat> Right. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll begin reading in verse 25. This is our passage for today. John 14, beginning in verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to look at this passage, Lord, this, this, uh, this beautiful passage that gives us more insight into the role of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and Lord even gives us some insight into, into who you are as Trinity, to give us some insight into who you are so we can know you better. Lord, I pray as a church that we would we would look at this passage today, Lord, that you would you would show us either 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 increase our knowledge in, in some areas that maybe we didn't didn't know we're missing. Or Lord, maybe you will you'll you'll uh, be pricking our consciences, Lord, and showing us that there's there's something we didn't understand that, that, we, that we needed to understand that that uh, or, or some area where we need to where we need to submit to your work and your word. Uh, Lord, maybe perhaps today someone in this room is not a believer. Uh, Lord, I pray that the gospel will be clear. I pray that you would make yourself known, that you would reveal yourself. Holy Spirit, that you would draw people to salvation even today. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So as we saw last week, as we introduced uh, last week's lesson, uh, many of us, we, we, we realize that many of us may not have a full understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and within the Trinity. As a matter of fact, that's uh, probably true of everyone in this room, myself included. I don't have a full understanding of all that is part of the Godhead because it's just the way it is. We, we don't, we're not going to know God fully, and we have eternity to learn more about the Lord. Um, in, our, in relation to our lives, we saw that the Holy Spirit is a gift. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit is a gift to all believers. And we saw that the Holy Spirit distinguishes believers from the world. This week, we'll look at two more ways in which the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. We will see that the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of truth. And we will see that the Holy Spirit brings peace and comfort to believers. Um, now, again, I promised last week that some of the material we would cover during these passages, uh, this is probably some of the most theological rich material in the Gospel of John, some of the more, uh, I guess, heavier material, if you will. Uh, John gets pretty deep. Uh, Jesus gets pretty deep uh, in, explaining, in explaining himself, explaining uh, some aspects of the Trinity especially that, uh, that, are, that are not as clear as what's, what's what's put here in, in the book of John. Um, so before we look at the, these ways that the Holy Spirit relates to us, let's take a moment to, to, to look at what this passage teaches about the inter-Trinitarian inter relationship or uh, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. Now most of us would gladly affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. If I was to ask you, do you believe in the Trinity? You'd probably say, yeah. Right? Whether or not you knew what all of that meant, um, you'd probably affirm the doctrine of, Trin of the Trinity. We believe there is one God and only one God. That We also believe that that one God exists as three persons. We believe that this is not illogical. Right? If it was illogical, that would there would be no point in believing it. So we believe that's not illogical. You may wonder, well, I actually kind of struggle with that. Well, let me help you with that for just a second. They are, they are unified. What unifies the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that they share in divinity. All three are equally God. We would say the same thing about humanity. Um, not, not that they are God, but think about this. There are multiple people in this room. Are there not? Yep. There's lots of different people. Um, in, a, uh, in a sense, uh, we are unified. Right? There's one humanity in this room. Everything that it means to be human, every single one of us possesses. Right? Otherwise, we would not be human. We would just be animals or some other kind of creature. Right? Every one of us possess what it means to be human. Therefore, we share in one humanity. The similar thing is true of God, not in the exact same way, 
Um, unlike God, however, individual humans do not share a will. Um, whereas Father, Son, and Holy Spirit not only share in the divine essence, but they also share a singular will. Um, so that's a difference between us and God. There's, there's categorical differences here, so the, the, the analogy does break down at some level, but we can see it's not illogical. We would talk about one humanity that's made up of multiple people, whereas in, so it's not illogical to say the same thing about the Trinity. There's one God and three persons, although there is a categorical difference. Now, if we are able to affirm that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are indeed unified, how are they distinct or how are there three persons and not just three names for God, for the same God? The easiest explanation is not easy to comprehend or to even fully explain, but it can help us to describe what the Bible teaches. So if you're looking for, okay, now I, I see what Justin's doing, I'm going to know everything about the Trinity right now, right? Sorry to disappoint you, uh, we won't be able to do that because there's a lot that I don't know. Um, Scripture teaches that the Father, though what we can know from Scripture, teach, Scripture teaches that the Father is the source, or what theologians call the fountainhead of the Trinity. Uh, that's the technical term that theologians will use. The Father is the fountainhead of the Trinity. The Trinity finds its existence from the Father. The Father is the person of the Trinity who shares his divine essence with the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that unifies them. Um, the Son and Holy Spirit then receive their existence from the Father. This does not mean that the Father created them. This does not mean that they were created by God. No, the Son and Holy Spirit eternally receive their existence from the Father. This is, I told you, this is going to stretch your minds a little bit. Thinking of someone eternally existing alone is, is hard enough to comprehend, and then someone eternally finding their existence from someone is just as difficult to comprehend. This is what Scripture teaches us, though. Um, <clears throat> the, the Son and Holy Spirit are distinguished from, another, from one another in part by their relationship to the Father. Let me describe what that means. Scripture says that the Son is begotten from the Father. Uh, in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, the Father declares to the Son, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. That's an eternal today. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it's a, it's a present tense, so it's always happening. It's an eternal kind of today. You are my Son, today I have begotten you. John 3.16 says that the Father sent His only begotten Son. In human terms, begotten typically refers to a couple having a child. However, when it comes to God, this is very different. I was not always a father. Right? There was a time when I was not a father. However, when it comes to God, um, this, that changed about me. I became a father when Curtis was conceived. For God, however, the Father has always been a father to the Son. In theology, we use the term eternal generation or eternal begottenness. The Son is eternally generated from the Father, eternally begotten of the Father. Because there's never been a time when the Father was not the Father to the Son. Right? If, the, if there was a time when the Father was not a Father, then He would cease to be the Father. Are you confused yet? <laughs> I understand. I'm, please, I assure you, we'll, we'll, we'll review this over the, over the weeks as it comes back up. But it's just, this is going to help us understand what's going on when we talk about the Trinity. Because it's going to help us understand as, as Jesus begins to explain the doctrine of the Trinity in these chapters, it'll help us work through these, 
these kind of issues. So the term begotten is a, is a term which describes the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son. So this term begotten, it's a technical term. It's, it's the Son relates to the Father by begottenness. The Holy Spirit, though, is not begotten. Right? The Scripture never says the Holy Spirit is begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit relates to the Father with a totally different term. In John 15, 26, Scripture tells us, or Jesus tells us, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. This, again, is an eternal relationship. There was, a never, a, there was never a time when the Holy Spirit did not proceed from the Father. At this point, I will have to disappoint you again because I still struggle with how to understand this concept. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father? How do we understand that? I don't know. I've been studying this for a long time. I'm still not quite sure. But this is what Scripture tells us. right? So I believe it because Scripture tells us to believe this. Um, uh, what I do know is that the biblical, this is the biblical term used to describe the unique relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father. The Son does not proceed from the Father. Right? The Son relates by begottenness. The Holy Spirit relates by procession or proceeding from the Father. Um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are unified in such a way that they are truly yet one being, yet they, remain, they maintain unique roles and relationships within the Godhead that convince us that there are truly three unique persons within the Godhead. Right? So that's, that's going to help us. So how is Father, Son, if you've ever seen the... Uh, there's a little drawing. It's, it's, it's a wonderful drawing. It's got has the word God in the middle, right? And then on the top it says Father. There's a circle on the one side that says Son, a circle on the other side that says Holy Spirit. And there's bars going all three from all three in going inwards toward God. And it says is 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 Father is God, Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. And then there's bars going towards each of the circles from circle to circle. Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father. They are not each other, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not the same thing as each other. But they are all three God. Okay, so there's distinction within the Trinity, uh, while there is also unity within the Trinity. Again, so uh, as I mentioned, this is going to stretch us a little bit. But it's going to help us as we understand more about who our God is. Right, this is, this is so, I mean, do we, do we really, do we want to know about our God? Right? We ought to want to know about the God that we serve, the God that we worship. So now, in our passage, there's another issue. In our passage, Jesus makes a statement in verse 28. It's a really, it's a rather odd statement sometimes that we may have a trouble understanding. It says in verse 28 that the Father is greater than I. You may stop and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all equal. So why is the Father greater? How does that make any sense? This speaks to the distinction that we already made, that the Son and Holy Spirit both have the Father as their source of their being. Right? The Father and the Father, He begets, begots the Holy the Son and He precedes the Holy Spirit. Right? So the Father is the source of the being of the whole of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Within the Trinity, there is also an authority structure then. The Father as the fountainhead of the Trinity is also the authority within the Trinity. Not in the sense that the Son and the Holy Spirit are less God than the Father. Right? That would be ridiculous. They're not less God. Um, no, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each 100% God. Rather, as we see, have seen time and time again, the Son and the Holy Spirit submit to the will of the Father. We've seen Jesus say this several times in the Gospel of John. 
right? That that I do the will of my Father. I do the will of my Father. We'll see that again in this passage. I'm doing the will of my Father. I'm going to do what the Father has called me to do. There is a submission there. The Son submits his will. His, the Son submits to the Father's will because they share a will, right? And then again, as Jesus explains in this passage, even here, uh, He does it because He loves the Father. Same the Holy Spirit, he submits to the Father's will as well. We've seen already last week that the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit obey? Because he loves the Father, right? And he wants what the Father wants. Why will, why will, why will the Holy Spirit go when the Father tells him to go? Because that's what he's commanded to do. That's what he will submit to the Father. Um, we also must be careful to understand that submission is not against their will like some sort of dictator. Uh, rather, the Son and the Holy Spirit submit to the Father's will out of love for the Father. Remember, the Trinity also has a unified will. They want what each other wants. And again, that makes sense. If they are all three equally God, would they not share and desire the same thing? That makes complete sense. Having some level of understanding of these aspects of the Trinity will help us as we continue through the next couple chapters. So now that we've taken a moment to discuss this relationship of the Holy Spirit uh, to the Trinity, uh, let's, let's look at some of the ways in our passage that the Holy Spirit relates to us. All right, so we've seen some of this inter-Trinitarian relationship. Now let's look at the, the relationship to us, this more, more of a, uh, a vertical relationship, right? If you say, think of the Trinitarian relationship as a horizontal relationship, their relationship to each other, and the Holy Spirit's relationship to us is a vertical relationship, his relationship down to us. Um, that's, we're going to move on to the Holy Spirit's relation to us. So if we look at our passage, we see, first of all, the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of truth. That's point number one in your outline. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of truth. Um, you don't have the outline. If you're if you writing it down, you, you could write that down right there if you wanted to. Uh, sorry about that. Verse 25 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Notice here that the Holy Spirit's role is a continuation of the role of Jesus. Right? We saw last week, we saw that, 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 that John in verse, uh, in verse 16 calls the Holy Spirit another helper, another paraclete, another comforter. Right? It's one that continues the same role, continues the same function that Jesus had. Right? Continues that it's, it's another person that is continuing on the ministry that Jesus had already started. The Holy Spirit, then, as we see, is not giving new revelation. He's not giving us brand new stuff. Look, he says, He will teach you and bring to your remembrance what? All that I have said to you. Jesus' role is, or the Holy Spirit's role is to share with us, to teach us, to help us remember the things that Jesus taught us. So if you were to come to me and tell me, well, the Holy Spirit told me that uh, only green hats are allowed in church. Everybody needs to wear green hats in church. I know nobody else ever said this before, but the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. I would tell you, no, he didn't. <laughs> right? Jesus didn't command that. It's not in the Bible. No, he didn't tell you that. Right? It's not true. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be a liar. I would have to tell you, you're just a straight liar. Or you're really confused about something. Right? Or some other spirit is talking to you, and it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, first of all, let's look at this word. He says he's, he's going to teach us, right? He's going to teach us. So all the Holy Spirit's teaching then will be in line with the teaching of Scripture, all that I have commanded you. 
Uh, we've seen that the, that the disciples continually get things wrong, right? They, they over and over again. They're like, oh, well, Jesus, you said this. And he's like, that's not what I'm talking about, right? You can see Jesus, you know, facepalm, right? And, and uh, I, I do that to Curtis. I go like that, and he copies me. It's so funny. But anyway, um, but, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is, you can see, sense in his, you know, there's all this irony going on where the disciples just don't get it. Jesus gives commands. Jesus teaches them, and they're like, Wait, what? What are you talking about? Jesus is giving a wonderful promise to them right here, isn't he? He's going to teach you what all that stuff I meant said, right? He's going to help you. He's going he's to teach you. Um, we have seen the disciples continually get things wrong. Here, Jesus promises that they will finally understand once the Holy Spirit arrives. What an encouragement. Remember, at this point, Jesus is telling them he is about to leave. He's saying, hey, guys, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be going. And they're really upset about this. And Jesus is trying to encourage them. And here he says, this helper is going to help you figure it all out. All the stuff I've been telling you, he's going to help you figure it out. If I was the disciples, I'd be like, thankfully, right? You've been t- I have no idea what you're talking about half the time. I'm so glad someone's finally going to help me understand this. And secondly, he tells us he's going to bring to remembrance. Think about this. What a, what a joy for us to know that the Gospels, right, give accurate information. Why? the Holy Spirit. Think the Gospel of John was written 60-something years after Jesus' death. You ever, anybody remember something that happened 60 years ago? Right? Some of you might remember something that happened 60 years ago. Isn't that memory a little bit fuzzy? Yeah, not at all. No, not at all, right? <laughs> remember it like it was yesterday. Full detail, right? Um, <laughs> right, so if you, you know, if, if, you, if you are old, if you're around long enough, you might remember things that are 60 years ago, but even then you're like, my memory's not that great. You know, I may not remember every detail. But think of the Gospel of John, right? John is remembering in very deep detail. How is he able to remember that? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's like, hey, remember that thing Jesus said? Write that down. Hey, remember that other thing Jesus did? Write that down. And he's, I mean, again, think about the 90-something-year-old John probably sitting there going, I don't know what's going on here. I'm sitting on an island doing whatever. You know, I don't know wherever John was, either in Ephesus or on the island of Patmos when he was writing the book. Um, but again, you know, if you can think about uh, about even even friends that you may have that are in their 90s, uh, that you, you wouldn't expect them to write a book and be this well written, right? Um, you you might expect some other things, but again, because of the Holy Spirit, He was able to bring that to remembrance. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, uh, what this means for us. First of all, I want to look look. We read in our scripture reading, we read in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, um, in the book of 1 John, John is doing several things. I love the book of 1 John. Um, he's doing several things. One of the things he's doing is he is uh, giving us what you might call a litmus test, helping us understand how you can know for sure whether or not you're a Christian. Right? If you're not sure whether or not you're a Christian, you can read the book of 1 John and it'll give you a test. Whether or not to find that out, to help you figure that out. Um, also, though, in the book of 1 John, this is again written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, he's also speaking against false teaching. Right? And he explains in, in chapter 2, he explains some one of these types of false teaching. He talks about these false teachers. He says, They went out from us, but they were not one of us. In other words, he's saying, They were hanging out with us, they were in our church, they were there. But they really weren't. They really weren't Christians, right? They really weren't one of us. They were around us, but they really weren't one of us. 
Okay? And he describes what that means, right? They, were, they, were, they went up from us, verse, 13, verse 19, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now imagine, right, if, a, if we had false teachers here and, you know, somebody who maybe said they didn't believe in the Trinity. And I just got done with the explanation I had talking about the Trinity. They might well just walk out the door, right? I don't believe that. I'm getting out of here. Right? This is the same, the same situation. These people were part of this church, but they, st- they didn't believe what the disciples were teaching. They rejected the teaching of the disciples, and they walked out, and they started their own group. And he says they went, they would have, if they were of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed with us if they really believed what we believed. But they didn't. They went out. That it might be complain, be, that it might become plain or become clear that they are they all are not of us. And then it says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, uh, and you and, and you all have knowledge. And then he continues on. He says in verse 22, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, that gives us some insight into what these people believe. These people that are no longer of us, that have walked out. He's saying part of what they they denied that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, he's not really the Son of God. Nah. Right? In the, in the book of 1 John, you find out there's another group that also believed that Jesus didn't have an earthly body. Like, oh, he just, he didn't, he didn't actually suffer. He just looked like he suffered. But it wasn't really suffering because he didn't really have a human, human flesh. Right? That would also be false teaching. These false teachers were coming up with these ideas. And because of that, John was able to say, if you don't believe these things, you're not a Christian. If you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, if you don't believe that Jesus is 100% God, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe that he 100% had human flesh, you're not a Christian. Right? You, if you deny these certain doctrines, you are not a believer. You are not a part of the church. And Jesus, uh, or John continues on. He says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, these false teachers, these people trying to change their minds, trying to deceive them, trying to teach them false teachings. It says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. Now, wait a minute. What is this anointing that the, that the son has given to us to help us recognize false teaching? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches you and reminds you, right? So how do we, what is one of the things the Holy Spirit does? He helps us recognize false teaching. This is why we want, we need to be aware of what the Bible says. Because if we're not aware of what the Bible says, when somebody teaches something incorrect, we might not realize it, right? If you have, if you have somebody in Houston getting up and saying, you know what? God just wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to never have any problems. That's what he really wants for you. Is that true? Oh, he missed the boat. Missed the boat completely. I think he probably jumped in the lake after the boat, right? (laughs) Completely missed it. The Holy Spirit is not working in that person. That's not the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's false teaching. The Holy Spirit does not teach false doctrine. If someone was to say, well, you know, um, uh, God comes from another planet, and, uh, and he had a son over there, and his wife, and he had, he had his son, and they, they, they were, he became such a good guy, such a cool, awesome guy, that he got given this planet to be God of. Is that in the Bible? No. Say who gave it to so the Mormons are false teachers. Are they not? 
So when Joseph Smith got up and said, guys, an angel showed me all of this stuff that you guys have had wrong this whole time. Actually, what the community did is probably accurate. What they should have done said, uh, no, <laughs> that's not true. It couldn't have happened that way because it's not what scripture says. Right? He was kicked out of where he was in New York. That's why they ended up in Salt Lake City. They were kicked out. And they kept getting kicked out of where they were at the time they decided to settle. That's historically what happened to the Mormons. They're false teachers. The Holy Spirit does not lead you to false teaching. The Holy Spirit will not guide you to believe something that is not accurate to the Bible. So then we might ask the question, how does the Holy Spirit teach us today? The Holy Spirit works in prayer. You ever been praying and all of a sudden a thought pops in your head? You're like, that was not my thought. Right? I've had this, I'll just give you one example. There was one time I was praying, it was when I was a youth minister in, in North Carolina. I was praying and praying and praying. And I'm like, Lord, uh, help me to be uh, the best youth pastor to my students. And I kept saying, my students, my students, my students, my students. All of a sudden, the thought popped in my head, not your students, they're mine. Mm-hmm. Well, by the standard of my prayer, that was not my thought. Who told me that in that moment? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was correcting my bad thoughts, my incorrect thoughts, and correcting me, teaching me. Look, these aren't your students. This isn't your church. It's my church. Right? This is how the Holy Spirit works in prayer. When we're, when we're praying incorrectly or praying something wrong, sometimes God will snap us to attention and guide our prayers. Amen. So in our Bible study, right? We may be reading a passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden you be like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that that connected to this and how that all comes together. Who taught you that? That'd be the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, again, if you're reading your Bible and you come up to some wacky conclusion, right? Like you read uh, uh, you know, Paul's uh, statement. It's, it's a very minor statement. He makes, says something about baptism for the dead, right? And you say, oh, we need to baptize for dead people. Amen. Because the Holy Spirit told me I need to. Well, probably not. Right? Sorry, Mormons, again. Right? We don't need to baptize for dead people. We have no idea what Paul means by that. Right? He makes this statement, even... The most educated scholars today are kind of like, I don't know what he meant by that. He threw it in there. We don't know what he was talking about, right? Do we have no idea? We have no context to understand what that is. The Holy Spirit's not going to teach you to do that, right? It's not going to because it doesn't. It's not connected into Scripture. What about in your daily life, right? You walk into your life, and all of a sudden, thought pops in your head. Maybe, maybe God, maybe the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance a passage of Scripture. Right, maybe you, maybe uh, I'm, 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 you know, working with Curtis or something like that, and all of a sudden I remember, fathers, don't provoke, don't provoke your children to wrath. Whew. Ouch, right? That wasn't me. That wasn't me. The Holy Spirit was saying, Justin, don't forget what Scripture says. Don't forget that. Right? The Holy Spirit teaches and brings us to remembrance. The Holy Spirit will not do. Here's some things the Holy Spirit will not do. The Holy Spirit will not encourage you to sin. The Holy Spirit will not encourage you to sin. You say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to cheat on my wife. Eh. Wrong answer. <coughs> Holy Spirit doesn't encourage you to sin. Right. It might be a spirit, but it sure isn't the Holy One. Right? Don't ever blame your sin on the Holy Spirit. 
Don't ever blame your sin on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never lead you away from biblical teaching. If you see something in the Bible, say, well, I just don't believe it. I think the Holy Spirit wants me to believe something else. Better watch yourself. The Holy Spirit will never teach you something outside of Scripture. The Holy Spirit will also never give you new revelation. I had a, there was a church in our area uh, where I was growing up. It's some of the silliest things. There's a church that's more, um, uh, what's the term for it? I uh, think, you know, more the uh, charismatic, more charismatic type church. Um, uh, and, and they had uh, a school that was part of the, that was part of the church. And um, uh, all of a sudden the school closed. They were doing well, but all of a sudden the school closed. Found out what happened. There was a couple of ladies in the church that said, we had a dream that we needed to close the school. And so they said, oh, well, if you had a dream about it, we need to, we need to close the school. Really? That was it? Didn't check in and say, hey, well, I wasn't being led by the Holy Spirit to do that, so should we do this or not? But the Holy Spirit's not going to give new revelation. He's not going to give new revelation. And along with that, he's not going to give you something new that is that supersedes Scripture. Uh we may think of other, other religious denominations that, that have elevated traditions to the level of Scripture and said, well, that's the Holy Spirit that's told us that. It's not going to happen. Right? The Holy Spirit will not exceed the scriptural, exceed what's given in Scripture. So moving on, the Holy Spirit also brings us peace and comfort. Not only does the Holy Spirit teach and bring to remembrance things for believers, but the Holy Spirit also brings comfort and peace to believers. Jesus says in verse 27, it says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Uh, let, let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not as the world. Jesus says, this peace that I'm going to give you is, is, is given to a believer is not a peace as in rest from war. Right? If you think about the Roman time, the Pax Romana, the, the, or the, the peace of Rome that had taken place in the ancient world at this time. This was a peace from war. There was no more war going on. We weren't sending out soldiers. We weren't trying to conquer more cities. It was all at peace. Now, this is not the kind of peace that Jesus offers. Jesus doesn't offer peace as in peace from war. Peace comes with the Christian in the midst of adversity. Remember, Jesus is about to go to the crucifixion. Do you think Jesus went peacefully to the crucifixion? Right, yeah. I would imagine so. Right? But that wasn't really a peaceful circumstance, is it? But he goes anyway in peace. Peace comes from the Christian in the midst of adversity. Jesus went peacefully to the cross. The peace of Jesus given to us through the Holy Spirit is not an absence of conditions that intimidate, but rather it is the composure to be faithful in the midst of adversity. The peace that Jesus gives is not, is not you're not going to have any problems anymore. Everything's going to be fine. The peace that Jesus gives is, hey, when that stuff comes, you can face it. You can face it with composure. You can face it calmly. You can face it well because I've given you my peace. Because the Holy Spirit gives that peace and gives that peace to us and guides us in that peace. So the peace we can think of here is, is again, it's, it's, it's a composure to be faithful. It's, you know what, bad stuff can happen and that's not going to stop me from believing that God is good. Bad stuff can happen to me. My conditions can change. That doesn't change who God is. Right? My conditions do not change what I believe about God. And in verse 28, 
Jesus gives it, says it, says, You've heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. But I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. The disciples had a self-centered look. He says here, is, if you loved me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father. The, the implication is here that they were not happy. They weren't excited about this. And Jesus says, basically, if you're not excited about this, you don't really love me. He's calling their love for him into question here. Their self-centered outlook prevented them from seeing that it is good for Jesus to go to the Father. In fact, as Jesus had been explaining, his departure is not only better for him, right? Better to be with God, right? Better to be with his Father. His departure is not only good for him, but it's better for them as well, right? Jesus is already telling them, hey guys, I'm going to go and I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Well, that's good. That doesn't happen if Jesus stays. If Jesus stays, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. Jesus must go back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come, right? Because Jesus goes to the Father then, they will be able to draw on the assistance of the exalted Christ and on the indwelling Holy Spirit. They get double portion, right? They should be excited that Jesus is going back to the Father. And yet they're, 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 they're saddened and upset by this, and Jesus tells them this. He says, uh, and... In verse 29, then he says, I now I've told you this before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. All right, he says, I'm going to go back to the Father, and I'm telling you this, because I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow in your faith. So when it happens, you're not freaked out, but rather you go, oh, yes, Jesus said this was going to happen. Yeah, I'm excited about this now. Right, he, he tells them that to build their faith. Then verse 30, Jesus continues, I will no longer talk much with you, for the rule of this ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world in this in this context being the enemy, being Satan. Satan is coming for Jesus, right? The crucifixion is about to take place. The rule of this world is coming. And it says, He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father. Uh, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. He says then that the, 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 the enemy, the, the, the ruler of this world, has no claim on me. Literally, it's an emphatic, it's a double negative here. It says, he does not have anything on me at all. Literally would be how we would translate this. This is a legal phrase. Satan cannot accuse Jesus of any sin. What it means by that, that the ruler of this world has no claim on me, it's not that he's not going to succeed in killing him. Right? He will. The crucifixion is going to happen. <laughs> What it says, what he's saying is that he doesn't have an argument against me. Right? Satan can't stand before Jesus and say, see what he did wrong, he deserves death. He can't accuse Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is not sinned. Jesus has remained sinless so that he can go to the cross as a perfect, holy sacrifice, so that he can die for imperfect, unholy people, so that they may have a relationship with a holy God. Jesus, then we also see that in verse 31, Jesus remains resolved to be obedient to the Father because of his love for the Father. He's going to go, he says, I'm going to obey the Father because I love the Father. He's, he is he's not shaken by the, by the shadow of the cross laying before him. He continues forward anyway. Then at the end of this phrase here, it says, rise, let us go from here. Now this is kind of an interesting phrase here, happening in the middle of this discourse as it does. Either this is a literary device which is used to anticipate a later ending, 
Uh, one scholar suggests that that's what's going on here. This is, this is kind of an extended exit, right? He's saying it here, but they don't really leave until the end, uh, kind of as a literary device. Um, or other scholars have said it's possible that Jesus and the disciples, that they finish the meal at this point, and then they take a walk through the, through the town in the middle of the night. Right? That maybe this is what's going on. Maybe Jesus is going to take them on a walk and, and continue teaching them. Either way, it doesn't really change much. Um, it just maybe changes what you have going on in your imagination, which really is fairly irrelevant to the text. But I uh, just did want to address that with you guys and let you know what's going on here. Rise, let us go from here. Uh, it's one of those two, and honestly, I don't think that there's a, uh, a problem with whichever one of those you take. Um, so then we see that in this passage, in this, this section, the Holy Spirit gives us strength to walk through adversity. Trials will come. They absolutely will come. Don't pray against trial. Right? We like to do that a lot. You know, Lord, don't let that trial come. Don't pray against the trial. God can use the trial to help us become more dependent on Him. Rather, pray for the Holy Spirit's help to go through the trial faithfully. Praying against the trial, let me warn you here, praying against the trial can be symptomatic of an idolatry of comfort. You say, God, don't bring trial to me. Why? Because I don't want to be uncomfortable. Why not? What's more important? Growing in godliness or living comfortably? Godliness. The Holy God has promised, Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit will go with you through the trial. He will bring you peace through the trial. My fellow Christian, don't pray against the trial. Pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance through the trial. Rather, above comfort, we must have a desire to grow in godliness. So as we close up here, I want to uh, bring up again several areas of invitation as we move to the invitation. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you say, you know what, I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm not a believer. I, don't, I, haven't given my, I haven't trusted in the sacrifice Jesus has made for me. I've never become a Christian before. This is an opportunity. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never given your life to Jesus, um, you don't have the Holy Spirit for one thing. These applications about the Holy Spirit only apply to believers. If you're not a Christian, these do not apply to you. The first, thing you need, the first step you need to take is submitting to Jesus Christ. So maybe that during this invitation, you need, to make, you need to give your life to Jesus. If you'd like help with that, feel free to come and grab me. I'd love to talk with you about that. Secondly, church membership. Maybe you, you, you're, you're, you're hearing this, you know, I haven't become a member of the church yet. I really want a place where I can grow, where I can, I can grow in, 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 uh, in my knowledge of the Holy Spirit and grow in, 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 in my walk with Christ and move toward godliness. This is an opportunity to respond to that as well. Come and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about how, we can, how, we can, how you can become a church member and connect with us in that way. Maybe there's something else God has convicted you of, some sin that God has convicted you of. We're about to leave, go into the Lord's Supper here. Um, scripture tells us not to eat unworthily. This is an opportunity that God has given you to, to pray and confess sin. We'll have another time of confession here in a second of confession and repentance here in a second, but maybe the Holy Spirit's already got something on your heart that you need to repent of. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to, uh, to look at your word, to learn more about the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us, uh, Lord, whatever it is that you have convicted us of, whether it be salvation or church membership or... or um, 
or some specific sin, Lord, I pray we would be submissive to you. In your name, amen. Please stand.